My guests today are Josie, Ben, and Chris. Today we have a really special episode, not only because Josie's my wife, but she's also the creator of Cyberbrokers, which is a series of 10,001 fully on-chain art collectibles. Cyberbrokers serve as the foundation for an ecosystem that is going to be part story, part game, and part experience. It's incredible to hear the team's story, not only as they're all OGs, but they have created this elaborate backstory that explains the lore of the Cyberbroker universe that really brings the project to life. It's also really exciting to see how they're pushing the technical boundaries of NFTs by putting assets with exceptionally high levels of detail on-chain. It's always amazing speaking to teams of this caliber, and I look forward to watching what they build going forward. Also, Josie wanted me to remind you all that tomorrow is the last day to sign up for the Cyberbroker Allow List. Tomorrow is February 18th, and the Allow List will close at midnight. Please enjoy my conversation with Josie, Ben, and Chris. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Super excited to chat with you all. And this is actually my second video pod. First one I did with Josie, we crushed it. So super excited to have you know all you guys on board. And to kick us off, I'd love, love to learn more about you guys' backgrounds. Josie, if you want to start, tell, tell us all about your background. Sure. Um, so I was saying we actually recorded this one other time before and my audio was crap. Um, but I was saying that Andrew and Ben were both sort of a part of my, uh, story of, of finding where I am now in, in the crypto space. And, um, I first heard about Bitcoin when I was in college. Um, I was a junior and I wrote an extra credit essay on Bitcoin, um, when we had a speaker come to our college to talk about it. Uh, it was super interesting because one of the questions he asked was, has anyone here purchased Bitcoin? Um, and three students raised their hand and they were all international all international students from China. Um, and I was like, first of all, Bitcoins, the whole concept blew my mind. And then once I saw them raise their hand, I was like, I'm totally missing out on something. Um, so as the college student, I was very focused. Um, I tried for like 10 minutes to buy Bitcoin, uh, didn't work. And I totally dropped it and forgot about it for a while. Um, and then leaving school, uh, I studied finance. So I was working in private wealth management and, um, it was a really interesting, uh, career that I learned a lot about myself in the world in, um, because I was, trained and licensed to sell stocks um, for high net worth clients. Um, so I learned a lot about just how the traditional financial system worked. Um, but it was really interesting because even though I had my certifications to buy and sell for other people, there were a lot of things that I couldn't buy into myself because I wasn't a, a, a an accredited investor. Um, so that was super interesting to me. And I realized that Everyone that I was working for made their wealth while they slept. Um, they had their money working for them. And it was a concept that I just didn't know about before or really didn't think about. Um, so when I discovered crypto again, which was actually in large part by Andrew, um, when we met, some of the first things, it was funny. He was like, have you heard of Ethereum? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I don't know a lot about it. Is it sort of like Bitcoin? Um, and he started sending me a ton of articles and I started investing in it in 2017. Um, and when, sorry, the cat wants me to play fetch with her. Um, and I started investing in 2017 and, um, I, 
we really just dove into it together. Uh, we started going to meetups at every meetup we could in Chicago, um, started trying to find conferences and everything we could go to. And really, I started to fall in love with the community and every the ethos behind Bitcoin. Um, and I decided that I wanted to work in crypto and the blockchain space. Um, so I quit my job and I started serving again at night at a restaurant here in Chicago. And during the day, I took a coding boot camp at Northwestern. Um, and I learned from the coding boot camp that I hated coding. Um, and I totally forgotten everything I learned because I hated it so much. But I also learned that um, I wanted to get back into art and design. Um, it was super exciting to me and I loved doing it. And I realized that that was going to be my way into working in the crypto and blockchain space. Um, so I started doing design for different Chicago companies, logos, websites, and then that expanded to companies in San Francisco and New York and all these different places. And it was um, really fun to do. And then um, I guess around that time, at the end of 2017, uh, I was talking to Andrew and it was funny. I don't remember exactly how it came up. I think he had seen one of my friends had texted me a picture of some of my old artwork that I made her a while ago and she had hanging on her walls. Um, and he was like, she, she said something about my art and he was like, wait, you do art, like actual, like painting and stuff. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, no way. Like, I don't believe you did that. And I was like, no, I did. And he was like, that's crazy. Like you have to make something like do something for, for us, like all the stuff. And then I was like, okay. And so I decided that I wanted to make a piece of crypto art, um, which now I like know that that was a genre at the time. I didn't. Um, so at the end of 2017, I made Genesis, which was my first piece of crypto art. Um, and it was really crazy and exciting to make because it represented, you know, my whole journey so far in the space and like how important it was to me and how much it really like, honestly, even at that point was changing my life. Um, but anyways, I continued to create more and more art. And I was also still doing graphic design for companies. And I linked up with um, a conference that was being put on in Chicago um, in August of 2018. I did everything for them, banners, websites, social media, all of the visuals. And then I ended up showcasing my artwork at the conference called Voice of Blockchain. Um, and that is where I met Marguerite, coin artist, who is a total badass. And I like had looked up to her. I was like fangirling. I met her and I was like, oh my gosh, I love your work. And like her sort of booth setup was right behind, like right, like we were um, back to back. And I purposely did that because I helped plan the conference. So I was like, I want to be next to her. Um, and I met her and I met some of the crew from Neon District. And she had like, because it was just starting um, or pretty close to, and she had the art up um, in this booth and it was just so cool. Anyways, she was looking at my art and she was like, whoa, you are awesome. Like I'm doing the show with Pascal in Paris in October of 2018. And she was like, do you want to come? And I was like, hell yeah. So <laughs> we went to Paris in October of 2018. And that's also when I met Ben, um, in Paris. And it was just such a cool experience. And like, I honestly remember like both of those things like yesterday. Um, but that was sort of a long-winded version of how I got to the beginning of my crypto art journey. And then obviously since then, um, I've been 
full-time working in crypto since the end of 2017. Amazing. Awesome. All right, Ben, t tell us all, all about your background. Awesome. Uh, no, I, I distinctly remember meeting both of you in Paris. Um, so I knew that you guys were, were an item for quite some time. <laughs> and uh, it never occurred to me that other people did not know because I had already known both of you for years. So that's an awesome story. I don't know if I can tell mine nearly as well. Um, I really found a crypto in like late 2015. Um, I had just gotten my computer science PhD and I had a whole bunch of Raspberry Pis lying around for some reason. I forget exactly why. And my wife, my girlfriend at the time, Rachel, said, why don't you try to mine Bitcoin? We had no idea. So I'm like, all right, I'll look into it. And obviously that did not work at all. Um, but that opened my mind to cryptocurrency. So I'd always had a fascination with um, making a startup and like having the entrepreneurial spirit. So I came up with the idea to start a, um, a web two, you know, shop online. It's not open sea. It was for physical goods. It was not, they were like downloads and stuff, but there was no such thing as an NFT back then. So I made this, uh, shop and I, I got into an accelerator in my hometown and state college, which, uh, was uh, where I was also going to school, Penn State, and uh, tried to run with the startup for a while until uh, it just, I wasn't good enough at it. You know, I built a thing and then I tried to sell it and people were like, what the hell is Bitcoin or why would I want to accept this, you know, for the things that I sell? It didn't work at all. Um, so then I fell into another startup. I was going through my program and then in 2017, um, I did not know what crypto Twitter was at this point, but I was following, you know, Satoshi Light, um, Charlie Lee, the founder of Litecoin. And I saw that he had put out a puzzle in May of 2017. And it was a, um, it was Litecoin SegWit puzzle to celebrate the fact that Litecoin was going to adopt uh, the SegWit protocol, which if anyone remembers the, um, I think it was the New York agreement um, back then. There was a whole think about um, the block size and accepting SegWit, and that's how we got Bitcoin Cash and all these other spinoffs. Um, but the the puzzle came out, and it was um, I don't know if Andrew, if you can like show a graphic or something, but you could probably show it's like this. Um, it was like a, a circular um, series of dots and an L with a bunch of graphs and um, nodes and edges and stuff. Um, but the, the puzzle was encoded in a certain way. And I think there were hundreds of people trying to solve this thing. Um, I got really lucky. I was in a group of people who didn't sleep as much as I did. So we, um, we spent two weeks working on it and we got really lucky. Um, I was the only coder. So I was of course trying to write all the code for everything and solve the, the, the damn thing. And uh, I was losing so much sleep. I was disheveled, like, you know, the, there were papers all on my walls and everything. Um, we were fortunate enough to crack it. So I remember distinctly, like, running the program and being like, if this doesn't do it, I'm done. I have to get back to, like, doing grad school stuff. And I went and I took a shower, and I, I'm running on, like, four hours of sleep at best. And I come back, and it just shows me the private key on the terminal. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I drop it into the 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 LTC wallet, the electron, whatever it was. 
And it was like, holy shit. That was like the first holy shit moment I ever had in crypto was seeing a wallet open up with like 230 Litecoin. It was like 20 bucks a pop at the time. And I, it blew my mind that you could go through the whole process and discover a private key and it opened a door, a really big one. It was from there that I had, oh, by the way, the, the creator of that ZDM also did that uh, picture up there uh, that I have, that I will be hanging up in this room instead of just resting on my bookshelf. Um, and that's how I eventually, through word of mouth, found out about uh, coin artist, Marguerite, and how she had made all these puzzles. So I started following the whole scene and got really into the crypto puzzle scene, like obsessively into it, printed out every puzzle and would follow everything. And I had um, the, the One Flame and Six, um, the, the Phoenix and the Turtle Dove puzzle. Um, that I, I had like 20 different printouts of that with like different drawings and writings. I'm like, how could this possibly be encoded? Um, it wasn't solved yet at the time. And I was obsessed with trying to solve it. But then I had to stop because in October of 2017, uh, Marguerite made a mention during a different puzzle. Um, if anybody is interested in working on this decred project, let me know. So I, I was a little interested because I needed money. I was poor, I was a grad student. I had like nothing, you know, I had a little bit of Litecoin, that's it. <laughs> I should say a little bit of Litecoin because he split up the prize among uh, six of us. So, and then um, that was when uh, we started working together. Uh, we did a Decred wallet um, explorer kind of, one of the only ones that they had. And we were trying to find out who held how much because Decred also has a staking protocol where you can vote. Um, I think I might've mixed that up a little bit, but you could vote basically on, on, um, on things it's like an early version of Adele. Um, and people wanted to know how much influence that you had. So we worked on that for a little bit and then shipped that. And that was it. And I thought, you know, that's it. It's done. And I was still doing another startup and it was December of 2017. I'm like, I'm not, I can't do the startup anymore. Like I've been crunching this. We didn't ship anything. We kept building and nothing happened. So I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm done. It was like Christmas morning. I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done with the startup life. I'm going to finish my PhD. You know, like I was, I was determined. I was ready. I, it was that was my epiphany, and then I get a, a Twitter DM two days later from from Coin Artist, and it's a group DM with a whole bunch of people, including Diego Rodriguez, who was our lead artist. And she's like, "Hey, you want to do the cyberpunk role playing game? Like, you know, just for fun? It'll take a few months, tops. We'll be done. <laughs> just ship it and be done." <laughs> <laughs> this was right after CryptoKitties, so it was like a whole thing. You know, people found out that you can make games where, you know, like NFTs were like, okay, yeah, this is a tool. This is what we can use to make the games that we wanted to make. So I was like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I'll do it. Why not? Fast forward, dropped out of grad school five months later. My advisor, if he ever uh, wants to talk to me again, I'm sorry. <laughs> And then it was shortly after that, I know, Chris, you're going to tell your story about how you met Marguerite, but it was like right around the same time I met Josie and Andrew, and that was the first blockchain game conference in late 2018. And then you came on the project and, you know, all, everything came together. Ben, uh, amazing. That, that That is an incredible background. I, I love how like CoinArt seems to be this like, connective tissue between all of us. But all right, Chris, the man, the myth, the legend, let's hear it. Tell me about your background. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm the old one. My background starts way back. Um, like I was always making games when I was a kid. Um, I started making games on a Commodore 64, actually, back in the day. Um, 
I even won a, an an award at the end of the year in my junior high, right? Like for computer graphics. And that basically, like that right there, that moment actually put me on my path. I was like, oh, I want to do something with computers and art. That's going to be awesome. That's where I want to go. And, you know, you fast forward through a little bit of school and I was in college and I'm just like, man, because I went to, I went to school for, uh, I majored in computer science with a minor in fine art. So you can imagine none of my classes crossed over. Like everybody's just like, oh, and, and with a CS degree, you need to take math as your, you know, like nothing i'm in these three hour long like um figure drawing classes and stuff and it's just like yeah i would my brain just turned to mush in my afternoon programming classes after that anyway um you get like three semesters in and i'm like man school sucks i'm out of here and then <laughs> i started bartending around the country right because that's how i was paying for schools i was just bartending on uh, nights and weekends and stuff and so I packed a bag and threw it in the back of my friend's Honda CRX. If you remember, like those old, like they're like this big um, and started just started wandering the country. Um, I ended up in the Sawtooth Mountains in Idaho. And um, I was talking to a guy who was starting a, a, a like my boss's girlfriend's boyfriend was starting a an interactive agency this is the mid 90s right um nobody really knew what the web was you know any of that stuff and and so i went down to boise and we started um we started a company to it was an interactive ad agency right and we grew it into this big thing and doing all kinds of cool stuff um and then i got tired of building the same thing over and over because every client comes in it's like oh we want a cool interactive website and here's our thing and here's our marketing plan and here's our like deliverables and all this collateral like i was building all this stuff but it'd be like the same thing it's just you're doing it for potatoes one week and you're doing it for batman the next week right like but fundamentally i'm building the same stuff so like this sucks you'll you'll notice a, like a, a theme like i go to school this sucks i you know i, I bartending i'm like oh, i'm tired this sucks i want to build like a, this is just like this sucks over and over again um and i'm like this sucks i want to go build something and, and own it right and so i jump into enterprise and i do like super nerdy database like level development stuff and i was like man this sucks this is boring <laughs> and so on the side i start making um like web-based mmo games because i was a web guy and you know i had i discovered travian if you know what travian is um it's basically like the precursor of class clash of clans um but just on just on web stuff uh and my friends and i are playing it it's amazing i'm like dude i'm gonna do a travian game but it's gonna be an rpg and it's gonna be an mmo and all this, all this cool stuff um and one of my one of my beta testers was raf coster at the time because uh, this is like in 2005 something like that um 2007, like Raph started his thing in 2007. Anyway, so Raph is just like, oh, hey, this is cool, blah, blah, blah. But I'm doing this other gig down in San Diego where we're, we're building a platform, an MMO creation platform thing. And I was like, oh, that sounds sweet. Like, you know, this enterprise stuff sucks, let's go do that. And, and so I started, um, we started there, we built a big cool thing and it was, 
we were democratizing UGC virtual worlds. Like it was super like, yeah, we got a mission, woo. Um, but like any UGC platform, like you see with YouTube or all these things, um, the, the stuff that people make starts out as garbage, right? Like it takes a while, Roblox, like all of, all of these things where it's, it's user generated content. Um, your average user makes terrible content basically. Uh, and so, you know, we were on the slow ramp, um, but it was a startup. So we didn't have a giant runway. And then, you know, Disney kind of like hovered over long, you know, long story short, Disney comes in and he's like, Hey, we like your tech romp. And they yoinked us. So then I got sucked into Disney. Um, and I did lots of stuff there with like club penguin, um, Disney infinity, um, lots of stuff that just went right in the garbage can. Um, man, it's so, it, it's so, it, like, it makes me so sad that we build these amazing things and, you know, they don't get traction or there's like little hitches or something and it just, and we just have to can it all. It's so terrible. Um, anyway, then I was in, I was working on the, at the time, this is 2017. I was working on um, some animatronic stuff for the new, then it was new, uh, Star Wars ride that is at Disneyland. And I was working on the, like, uh, they, they put like little iPads on the wall behind the roads that the maintenance guys can come in and like beep, 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 beep. And it, you know, puts the big robots into T-pose so they can get in there and like turn the screw name, screws and stuff. Um, so I, I was building like all this like, and stuff for that and um that's when i discovered decentraland right because i i created a bitcoin wallet way back in like 2011 but it back then it wasn't easy to buy like like josie was saying right it's really hard to buy and i'm like ah, this is dumb i'm not gonna worry about it and then like in 2014 i looked at it again i'm like oh, it hasn't gotten any easier all right never mind and then mount gox happens and you're just like ah oh, okay well dodged a bullet like like throughout the the whole thing all of this is like meh and finally in mid in the summer of 2017 right crypto is going crazy and well crazy um and uh i was like all right i need i need to actually buckle down and get into this and so i in my little head i made a little mental checklist these are the things that i'm good at virtual worlds right you know and i'm like i'm only gonna invest or look at stuff that makes sense to me right and so i ended up in like in a couple little things like uh wax i was i was in wax in the early days um but it was the decentralized stuff that drew me in i'm like oh this is awesome so i participated in the land sale and all this other all this other stuff um and i was in the discord with them and you know i'm like oh because literally what i just got and the last like 10 years of my life was building UGC virtual world platforms, like where people can make their own virtual world MMO stuff. And so you can imagine there's a lot of like overlap with what Decentraland's mission was. And so I'm there like, oh, you should do this. You probably don't want to do this. And here's a thing and whatever. And Ariana Esteban are just like, dude, he sounds smart. <laughs> you should come work for us. I was like, oh, no, 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 man, I'm good. I got this sweet gig over here building robots for Disney. Like, I'm good. Um, and <laughs> and 
damn it, they kept going. And they're like, just come down and visit. Come check us out in Argentina. And I go down to Buenos Aires. And like, if you've ever been to Buenos Aires, it's amazing. Like, it's this beautiful place. I'm like, shit. All right. <laughs> I'm going to do it. And so I totally ejected from Disney. Um, and everybody thought I was crazy because like, oh, you're going to go get paid in Bitcoin? Right? I mean, it was yeah, like, come to find out. Yay. Um, <laughs> But at the time, everybody thought I was insane. Uh, and, and so I started, you know, we did Centraland stuff. And then um, we, like, the guys wanted to take it in this direction. And I'm like, no, I want to go this direction. And so we decided to just kind of part ways on that, um, which is totally cool. Um, and then I started hanging out with um, Ben and Marguerite, right? Well, I started, actually, I met Marguerite at, the nifty conference that he was talking about um and you guys were there but i didn't meet you guys um because decentraland put that conference on right like i was part of organizing all of that and um and that was my i had a, a game design panel there that i did and marguerite was one of my speakers that panel was crazy so um another tangent story the um the night before i'm you know t meeting with my panelists and and this is about game design and back in whatever that was, 2018, there weren't a lot of game design people in crypto, right? I mean, I guess there still aren't. Um, and so um, I had like one of the, one of the people had to drop out or something and I'm looking at the resumes of the folks and they're, you know, like economic designers and, and it wasn't really like, like a game designer person. And so I was, you know, there was Marguerite and then some folks who are building games, but not necessarily in the design part of making the games. So I'm like, so, so I'm basically feeding them here. These are the questions you're going to ask. These are the questions you're going to ask. And then I, I went to my friend, Gabby, Gabby Design, you guys know him. Um, and so I went to Gabby and I was just like, dude, I need, <laughs> I need a designer. And he's like, oh, how about Luna? And he pushes Luna forward. And poor Luna is just like, wait, what? What am I doing tomorrow? What? <laughs> like she was totally unprepared to be on any panel or anything. Um, and so Luna came on and so then we ended up having this like amazing panel where we like designed a blockchain game whose line in it is it style right like where we just took ideas from the audience and we're just like all right what are we gonna make and we ended up making like a, a crazy dumpling throwing um, like power defense game or something like right there on the spot during the during the thing it was it was it was super fun um, and so because we had all that fun, I was like, oh, Marguerite and I like hit it off and moved over and started hanging out with Ben and the guys at Blockade. And we did Plasma Bears and all the Neon District stuff and all that. And then um, uh, then the you know the downturn happens and I'm like, ah. And then I uh, moved over to Sandbox because you know startups are hard. Um, and so I was helping the Sandbox guys um, do their multiplayer backend stuff. Um, because they are they are long-term game devs, um, long-time game devs since like 2011 or something. Like so, the team is great, but they they didn't have a lot of experience doing MMO stuff. And so, you know, I I I kind of wrote their back end for the all the the matchmaking services and sort of that stuff. Um, and then I got them to write for launch, and I was like, okay, guys, I've got to go because I need to go make some stuff. <laughs> and and that's when I um, jumped ship because Alex, Am's, uh, Silly Tuna, 
um, was was poking me. He's like, dude, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. Because he wants he wanted to make this soul cast thing. And so then I started doing soul cast. And we were brainstorming the thing. And like, oh, what if we did this sploot thing with this? Because he's a sports, he's a football guy, European football, soccer guy. Um, and so we did this sports sploot thing. And like, I'm just, I'm just like, my cup runneth over with all these awesome things that I'm having to build. And I just like, I didn't have time for sandbox and they were launching. And so I'm like, you, you guys got this because their told team is awesome. They, they're fine. Um, anyway, in the middle of all of this, so I'm in this, this flux of trying to figure out like which projects I want to work with. Ben pokes me. He's like, Hey, Hey, do you want to come play with cyber brokers? I was just like, what? <laughs> right. Cause I, I have been a big Josie fan forever. Like I've been grilling all over and like i bought a tune in i have a number 19 that's mine um like and so just this opportunity i was just like yes okay it doesn't matter like anything else i'll just put it to the side i got this like like i will come be your dungeon master it's yeah totally works um and then yeah and then here we are like i i am i'm am on the team and i'm excited about it <laughs> amazing i mean i mean such incredible backgrounds from every one of you i feel like you guys are all just mega OGs. And I feel like the person uh, who kind of brought, is like the connective tissue again is like coin artists, which is so cool. Right. I, I didn't really realize that until right now. So yep. that is that is so sweet. So, okay. So um, you guys are now working on a project called Cyber Brokers. And could you tell me what is Cyber Brokers and also what inspired you guys to kind of come together to work on this? Also, I do want to, yeah, I can jump in there, but I do want to say that, Chris, I played Club Penguin, so that was not a throw in the trash game. I don't know how old I was, but yeah. Do you remember the, do you remember the game Karjitsu Snow? It was like a, I don't remember a lot of them. Battle game on a grid, a multiplayer, like PVP battle game on a grid. To be honest, I have a terrible memory, but I know I played the game and I know I play a lot of games in there, so I'm sure I played that one. Did you build that one? Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was probably the one that I had the most impact on. Um, like we did a bunch of other stuff, but like lots of that was uh, tinkering already existing things. That's really cool. Um, yeah. But yes, I played that and Neopets for like the two big ones I played. That's just so cool. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, anyways, back to Cyber Brokers. Um, Cyber Brokers, uh, it's, it's interesting how much it's evolved, that's for sure, because it was sort of like a long um, timeline of when the we, I guess, I initially had the idea and then how we've been, um, how we've executed it. So I don't remember the exact month or time. Ben might know more because I reached out to him pretty early on. Um, but really the only, I guess now what everyone's calling PFP that was out at the time was CryptoPunks and correct me if I'm wrong, if you guys think of any, um, and, uh, I was like, okay, I want to make 10,000 and one, um, like crypto art collectibles, like let's do this. And when I needed that tech component, the first people I thought of were Rhea and Ben. I was like, if you guys, can you help me do this? And we had already worked on um, some stuff together for the puzzle that we did for yours truly, um, that we did with Neon District and Ben and Rhea were a huge part of that puzzle um, and organizing and coding everything. So it was just the perfect thing that I had worked with them before. 
And anyways, we just started uh, sort of showing, I was showing them different art ideas and what we were going to do in that realm. And then they started thinking of the different like tech aspect and how to do it. But honestly, I'm really glad it was my end that took so long. Um, I had a baby at some point in that period, which slowed me down a lot. Um, Just being an artist, I wasn't like super fast with everything. I was sort of like going in these creative waves and taking breaks, that's for sure, and doing other things. Um, But honestly, I'm really glad that in some ways that it has taken this time because over this time, um, my ideas and my opinions and thoughts on a lot of things in the space have changed a lot even, and we'll talk about it too, but even with like IP rights and everything like that, like before becoming from an artist perspective, I was like, I don't want people who own my art to like do whatever they want with it. Like that's my creation. Like they shouldn't be able to do that. And a lot of my opinions have changed around that. Um, especially like just as the space has evolved and, and seeing what people can do when they actually like fully own their NFT. So anyways, all that to say that the process was a long time, um, but it was totally worth it because I'm so freaking excited where we are at now with Cyber Brokers. Um, there's 10,001 NFTs um, inspired by inspired by crypto art. They're not all crypto related, but inspired by crypto art, inspired by the metaverse, inspired by the whole NFT space and what we're doing. Um, and the really, honestly, like really exciting thing besides the art is that it's all on chain and we'll go into that, but the SVGs are all completely stored on Ethereum. And this is like the most intense art um, that I know of that's ever been stored on Ethereum like this. And then we also have this whole insane, crazy sort of world and universe that we're building with Chris um, that just expands it so much more from just the visual art. Um, so that's sort of the long winded <laughs> answer of what Cyber Brokers is and I'm sure we'll dive deeper into that too. Awesome. All right. So, so Ben and Chris, like what inspired, you guys are busy, busy guys. So what inspired you to, to work on this project? Because you guys got the, the world is your oyster, right? And so you're like, all right, Joey's making this project. I want to devote some time to this. Like explain that process. I'm sure like, like Ben's going to say the exact same. Like when Josie says, do you want to, do you want to collaborate? We're just like, yes. Like, how do you say no to that? <laughs> That's just been crazy. Yeah. Yeah, exact same answer. I mean, Josie's like, hey, you want to work on this NFT project together? I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to say no to that, <laughs> like, at all. Um, I did go back. I just went and I checked. Um, you reached out in, I think, May of 2020. So this was a very interesting time because, you know, Blocky was in a really rough spot. I didn't know where my money was coming from. You know, I was actually working on another project with uh, Sam Rad, uh, Samantha Madokia for a little bit. Um, and then I was also simultaneously working on a project with Chris and uh, Silly Tuna called Metaboss, oh, yeah. the Ill- yeah, ill-fated Metaboss. Um, so I know way before it's time. Oh God, we could have just waited one year. That's it. And it would have been perfect. Um, nobody knows what we're talking about. It's just the four of us. So, um, but yeah, Cyber Burkers, um, Josie came up with the, the idea. She shared it. We saw a lot of the early art. Um, I, I think, I think Josie reached out to me first and I immediately pulled in right up. 
um, because I knew there was no way I didn't want to get involved. Um, and it, the three of us had come up with a lot of ideas, like how do we want to handle the tech? There were some fundamental questions that we had posed back then that were very existential, not in a bad way, but like what is the, the, the purpose and longevity of the project? Because, you know, at this time, NFTs did not explode yet. People still didn't know what they were. And we wanted something very, very special, more than just it being, um, you know, amazing art. We wanted something that was permanent and forever because I was working, I was starting to work through this theory at the time. Okay, maybe, maybe this helps to explain why I've been thinking about this. Um, we made a game called Plasma Bears, which I, Sure, some people have heard of. Um, Chris and I did a lot of the work there. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was a great blockade project, and it ran on a Loom sidechain. Um, when, yeah, two months prior, in March, like the, the same week that COVID hit and everything went to shit, um, I get a DM from the Loom team saying, hey, we're, we're shutting everything down. Just so you know, you have to move your contracts off. I'm like, what? How much time are you giving us for this? One day. <laughs> so um, they blocked me on Twitter for reasons I will not understand. But um, yeah, so the Loom team, you know, just made their choice. And I realized that the things that we took for granted as being permanent uh, were not. And, you know, for a lot of people, when you think back of the early internet, the early memes and everything, if you try to go and search for like your favorite videos, your favorite, Flash games, for example, a lot of them are gone. You know, GeoCities websites, a lot of those are gone. A lot of the things that you remember um, as a kid or, um, you know, in the very early days just don't exist anymore. And that um, really st uh, struck a chord with me at this particular point in time. So we, we talked a lot about what we wanted in terms of um, provenance and longevity and permanence for the Cyber Workers Project, and it could have gone in any number of ways artistically, but um, we chose through a series of questions that we asked ourselves, um, what is the sort of mark that we want to leave on the world for the end of time? You know, again, we're asking very existential questions, like this is right after COVID, like we don't know what's going on, everything is weird. Um, so we realized like, if there's a way we can do it, let's put the whole thing on chain. And let's make it permanent because when the internet itself is not permanent, to the best of our knowledge, Bitcoin and Ethereum, assuming Ethereum stayed strong and kept growing and stayed decentralized, would be a permanent fixture of the internet and the world. And very few things are permanent. So we chose that we wanted to put things on chain to leverage that permanence. Um, that may have been a very expensive decision in hindsight. Okay. All right. So basically to sum it up, cyber brokers are a series of 10,001 crypto art collectible assets. And, uh, what we commonly call like a PFP today. Um, and the kind of what's really exciting about them is that they are fully on chain, which we'll, we'll dive more into that. But I want to ask you some questions on the tech about that later. I don't know what you can reveal, but I want to learn more about that. But can you kind of explain to me like, what, what is a cyber broker? Like, like why that name? Like, like what, yeah. What, what are they? The name, um, it, it started with something around, um, we wanted them to be able to facilitate transactions, like being brokers, right? 
uh, in the metaverse. And and so we took that that theme and basically wrapped this big cool narrative around it. Um, right. And so the 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 way we went um, is sort of like the cataclysmic terrible thing happens to the world, right? So climate change just destroys everything and it turns into the next ice age effectively. Um, like the North Atlantic current stops and all this. So, so this big ice age covers, covers everything. All these people die, everybody everywhere is just like, they move, humanity moves underground and, and, um, and existence is terrible because everybody lives in caves, right? So the, the government hooked these first 10,000 people up to um, this rig and to kind of like get them into the brain and get them into the metaverse into this like virtual world thing. Um, and something went wrong. Um, and so all of these poor people are now in like this cryogenic stasis inside of a military compound somewhere. Um, and they, um, they're locked in cyberspace forever. These are the cyber brokers. Um, and they basically were waiting for the world to catch up, the technology of the world to catch up so that we can, we can fix them and reverse engineer them. Um, and if this, like the cataclysm happened like in 20, 2040 something, 2050 something, and then like 200 years later, basically is where our story starts. And so we've had these cyber brokers wandering around and they're in the metaverse 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They can't like, they're effectively immortal because they're in this hyperbolic cryogenic magic chamber thing. Um, and but regular people who are who are now, you know, a couple of generations removed from this thing and everybody's just used to living underground in tunnels and whatever. Um, and so they have this dreary, drab, terrible life and they, they go back to their their little hovel and they they log into the now perfectly working um uh tpl rigs and they get in there and, and we have the metaverse right like so inside the metaverse it's all bright and neon and color and all this like joy and action and fun and crazy and the real world is this terrible drab cold existence right so um we're, we're playing with that dichotomy in the story level but the cyber brokers are these they're basically like celebrities in here because you know there's only ten thousand of them and they're in there constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, regular humans can only like withstand, you know, a few hours a day kind of thing. So they can't be logged in nonstop. And so it's basically about these guys um, sort of brokering all of these, um, the way the world works, right? Because if people are logging in and out, they're not existing all the time. Like, and so these guys are the permanence of that. And so they're the ones taking care of sort of all of the, the happenings um, and we've got different tiers and um, we've got these things called talents so all these cyber workers are good at different things um, there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of lore that um, we'll end up releasing that comes along with all of this um, and we're kind of we're um, we're exposing it all through a, a series of, of short stories well it's like a big story but a series of chapters as we kind of like reveal how the world works and we you know we build a few characters and we can just explore a lot of the um a lot of the different a lot of the different talents and jobs like the way there's 
the way the metaverse works, right? Amazing. All right, so that's kind of on the lore side of things. Josie, can you tell tell me more about the art and not like the on-chain aspect, but just actually the, the artwork itself? Yeah, um, it's definitely has some cyberpunk inspirations. Um, it sort of did from the beginning. The art has evolved a lot um, since we started initially, um, but definitely has some cyberpunk inspirations inspired by fashion and sort of like futuristic fashion. Um, we have crypto inspirations like all over the place in there. Um, and also pull some things from like crypto art pieces that I did directly. We pulled some things directly into, um, the collection. Um, and it's sort of, we have some like specialty characters too, um, that we definitely like the graphics themselves are really fun. I don't want to give away too many of them, but like you guys have seen the politician, um, and that, that one is kind of fun and pulled directly from our, uh, the art as well. So we, we sort of pull from a lot of these different directions, but overall to create something that, you know, sort of looks like cyberpunk and futuristic, um, but has different inspirations. And also, um, we're working with who now I've become friends with, but a while ago, I don't know exactly when I reached out to an artist that I've always loved his work. Azamat, um, and I reached out to him on Instagram and I was like telling him about the project, telling him about, he had no idea what like NFTs or crypto was. And so I was like, you first of all, just need to get in NFTs. Um, I would love to see your art here and, uh, I would love for you to collaborate with me on cyber brokers. Um, and he was super excited about it and he said, yes. So um, we collaborated on all of Cyber Brokers so that they could, you know, have the same look and feel. And I'm just so happy where, with where the art evolved to. Um, but yeah, that's sort of, I guess, the inspiration of, of Cyber Brokers. And then building up that, you mentioned that they're like SVGs, which I'm not, I got them, is like a file type. I'm not really sure what that is. But uh, I think this that, you know, going from Josie, if you can explain what that is, but then also That'll probably lead into what, what what Ben wants to talk about, which is kind of how he actually put this stuff on chain. And I think it has to be an SVG. But anyways, like, tell me, what, what's an SVG? Why did you decide to do that? And then Ben, like, how did you put this stuff on chain? So really, I mean, I've always known. So it's funny because I don't know the tech side of SVGs at all. Like, I know it just from, like, the design side. Like, I was like, oh, you make logos and, like, and assets and SVGs so you can blow them up any size you want. And so they're not pixelated. Um, so literally, I mean, you're just drawing points, like vertex points and, like, connecting everything together. There's way more technical stuff to it that I have no idea because I'm coming from it from just the design aspect. Um, but also when we were initially talking about using SVGs, of course we had to do that to be able to store it all on chain. And then also um, we uh, – and. I should have mentioned this earlier, but another big inspiration to even do cyber brokers was that initially I was going to do the art for Avastars. Um, and I was talking with Jim and I was going to do the art for a while and then life got super hectic and I was doing too many things at once. And I felt bad because I felt like I was holding up the project. Um, so I was like, you need to find an artist who can like rock with you in a, a way faster way I can. Um, but obviously they also use F SVGs and they also store on chain. So that was definitely something that I had already known going into it. We needed to do as well. Um, but yeah, I can let Ben tell you the more like technical side of SVGs. So 
just to add a note to that, you technically can store other things than SVGs on chain, but in order to do anything dynamic, like with an SVG, you can, so what an SVG is, is um, it just, I can't really ask a question, this is a podcast, so I can't like ask the audience, like, do you know what HTML looks like? But I think everyone has a pretty rough idea of like what a text file looks like. And, you know, you have different paragraphs and stuff. And um, the way that the cyber broker is broken up is layer by layer. And the further down in the file uh, you go, um, the more to the front it shows up. So what you can do uh, with an SVG that you can't really do with like a bitmap or um, a ping or a JPEG or something is the ability to swap out those layers. So a really big part of cyber brokers is that there's a base character for most of these. And on top of that character is everything they wear. So with avastars, for example, um, all the traits and everything, the background, like all of that, those are all SVG layers. They're all stored independently and they're all compiled together um, in the end. And that's effectively how CyberWorkers works. Um, there are, I think, 30, 40 different layers, I believe. Um, some of them are front and back. Um, some of them are, um, I don't know if I should be giving anything away, um, but there's a lot of really cool, complex uh, interlocking, interweaving of layers. And a lot of other fun things you can do with SVGs, like you can you can change the colors around um, very, very simply, very cheaply. Um, so an SVG file is perfect to store on chain. Now, the difference is that the level of detail in a cyber broker is extremely high. Um, and I think the most, I, I don't think there's a file size limit per se to how much you can store. Um, in memory on chain, but there's a massive cost to doing so. And part of how we're storing them on chain is by not storing them uh, directly in the memory of a contract, we're storing them in lieu of a contract. So this is a technique that I, I'm not sure who invented it or who discovered it, but it's a mechanic that I've taken from the Evagachi team. I think uh, Nick Mudge uh, might've come up with it. Um, to the best of my knowledge. And what it allows you to do is more efficiently store data in a, um, in a, in basically a false contract. So it looks like a contract, it is stored like a contract. It cannot run like a contract, but it is not actually usable runnable code, but you can still access that memory and you can still pull in everything. And uh, that's where we're storing the SVGs, but that's only a, a small part of it. Um, again, the SVGs are very, very large as they're stored. So we actually have several layers of compression that go into how we're storing them all on chain. Um, the first thing we do is we um, catalog all the IDs and I, I might be getting a little too te technical here. Um, and we will be sharing a lot of, you know, maybe everything as to how we made this happen. But um, Effectively, we're going through, we're running through all the SVGs and we're compressing the data where we can. And then we have a compressor that actually translates the entire SVG into the most minimal format that I could think of. Um, so it's basically, it, it translates from an SVG language to a byte code that is stored on chain and that compresses it down about, 
uh, it compresses it to about maybe 30, 20% of the original file size when you get everything together. So we're talking about like one fifth of the original file. Um, so that, that's another massive compression. And then, um, and then on chain, in order to allow people to be able to read it permanently forever, we have to then write the translator. The translator itself cannot be off chain. It has to be stored in a way. So we're going to store a JavaScript uh, translator on chain so people can pull that and they can, they'll always have access to being able to pull the raw data and then run it. But we're also, we also have a decompressor that is purely written in Solidity and it's not very efficient. You have to run it with like a cursor and you have to keep pulling the data in, making a ton of calls, but it works. And you can basically, no matter, uh, whenever you ever wanted to pull the original image, you can do so. And the really fun part is um, because all the layers are stored independently, people will be able to kind of like riff and make their own cyber broker in a way where they can mix the layers as they see fit or mix the colors they see fit. Um, there's a lot of really fun things that can come out of this, but that's the, the deep dive into how the the compressor and all the data stored on chain. Okay, so that's awesome. Most of it was was over my my small brain, but but so like, could you explain why putting stuff on chain is, is expensive? Yeah. Um, have you ever used Ethereum? Yes. <laughs> Everything is so expensive. That one of the most expensive things you can do. So um, the compiler. Uh, the compiler, uh, every single operation they can run on chain has a certain cost associated with it. And that's how you get your gas cost estimate, right? So an S-Store operation is one of the most expensive that you can do. They they simply do not want you to store data on chain, but they also can't make it prohibitively expensive for people to deploy contracts either. So that's how you kind of get this little loophole where you can basically make it look like you're deploying a contract, but you're actually storing raw data that you can then still access and, and read. So the... Um, the expense in storing anything on chain is just really high, no matter what you do. And what we're trying to do is not just try to make the cost as minimal as possible, but under the theory that Ethereum itself does live forever, we don't want to bloat the chain. And we know that by doing what we're doing, we are opening a Pandora's box. And, you know, it's extremely expensive to do what we do. I don't think there's going to be, you know, many copycats doing what we do, but there's a possibility that the thing that we do is going to lead to a lot of people trying to do the exact same thing. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see how things develop from this point forward. That's awesome. That's, that's super exciting. All right. So Chris, I think you mentioned that there's like differing uh, tra uh, traits, or I think you call them like talent types. Could you dive into that and explain like why you, I guess, have that and what those talents do, if anything? Um. Yes, I can do uh, like because again, we're trying not to give away the secret stuff because we've got a we've got a a storyline story arc kind of mapped out where you discover all these things and you know there's twists and turns and and all of that. So um, without giving too much away, we have fifty different talents basically, um, and they're kind of grouped together in what we're calling classes. So you have sort of explorer talents, you have warrior talents, you have creator talents, you have services talents. So think like um, everything from a nurse to a, um, 
like a cleanup crew, like somebody, it's funny, the cleanup crew, um, the, uh, one of the characters in the, in the narrative story that we're, we're publishing, uh, his name is Zink. Um, he's actually a cleanup crew guy. And so nobody in the world, not even these guys know the description of what a cleanup crew guy does, but what he does is, is they, um, they're in the metaverse poking at pixels. Like, so their job is to like, to repair all of these weird, like glitchy pixely pieces throughout, throughout the, um, the metaverse. Um, anyhow, so they've all got, they've all got like jobs in the metaverse because the cyber workers are there, like I said, 24 seven. And so, um, you can imagine everybody from the, um, sort of the, I don't call them the government, but the, the people who run, who make decisions, um, like they're, they're the founders. It's a group of, um, like some of the original OG cyber workers that were in there. Um, then you've got, you've got, like I said, you've got services level stuff. You got Explorer folks, you got, um, the, it's fun. One of the categories that we have in there is sort of a, a policing, um, group and the main character in the story, she's actually a human, but part of this policing group because she's so badass, right? Um, but it's, we've, we've, we've effectively tried to build a world out of, because we have 10,000 cyber, and so we can split up all kinds of cool jobs between all of them to, to do stuff in the, in the metaverse. Um, so there is everything from, um, like assassins to like the ad buddy. Oh my gosh, he's so funny. Um, like it's, I am so excited for the reveal for all of these things so that everybody can dig through and be like, what, what is this? And because they've all got fun descriptions, they've all got unique names. Um, like I was um, playing with the name generator uh, today to kind of like dedupe some stuff and clean things up. Um, like it's, it's so cool. Like <laughs> I am so excited for everybody to like start pulling all these things apart um, because they're going to, and there's different tiers based on rarity. Like there's all kinds of fun stuff that is, is they've got stats. Um, <laughs> uh, because anybody that knows me knows that I'm just a stat monkey. Um, but they, they have so many cool different ways that you can slice them from a, from a character toy storytelling like like game asset like there's all kinds of stuff and because of that it just opens up a giant world of possibilities right um like we're talking internally about doing all kinds of just badass stuff with these people with this 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 pile of characters like it's it, yeah i'm excited <laughs> amazing awesome all right Josie, why, why 10,000 and what? I feel like 10,000 is like the, the, the norm. Uh, so how, how, why do you decide that add that extra? Yeah. Um, so in all of my um, crypto art NFTs, I've always done this thing where I always keep number one. Um, and early on, it was, I mean, forever. It's just been sort of a way to not only keep a part of my own journey in the space because all of the art that I create um, is about my journey in some way or the other or the community's journey or um, they just mean a lot to me. So I've always wanted to make sure that I keep one of the additions. Um, 
And so that is always the way that I've done that. And it's also in a sort of way like investing in myself and my own work. Um, not that I would ever sell any of them, um, but it's just, I don't know, it's been both of those things for me. And so when we were making cyber brokers, I knew that I wanted to keep um, one of them, but I still wanted to make sure that we had 10,000 dispersed. Um, so I said 10,001 and stuck with it from there. That was um, sort of the reason. So with these assets, can I, like, what, what do I do with them? Is it like a game? Like, do, do I use them for some purpose? Or, and like, do I, also do I like, do I own the IP? Cause I feel like that's like a, a big thing now. And you also mentioned that earlier. So like, yeah, tell me like, what do I do with these things? And do I own the IP? Sure. Um, I'll let Chris talk about the IP cause I know he gets excited about it. Um, but as far as uh, what are you buying when you're getting a cyber broker, um, the base is you're getting a on-chain piece of badass art. That's what we're giving, that, that's what you're getting when you buy a cyber broker and you, you become a part of this universe that we're creating. Um, but really it is a, we don't wanna, I'm, I'm never the kind of person where I want to like put something out there of what we're going to do before we do it. So we've held a lot of those things close to chest, um, but it is sort of the foundational piece to everything that we're building. And it's this art ecosystem that you become a part of by owning a cyber broker. And then for the, um, like for the IP rights. So uh, like, like I said earlier, I was in the bowels of Disney for eight years and Disney is kind of like the, like don't get me wrong, I love Disney obviously. Um, but Disney is the antithesis of uh, copy left, if you know what I mean, right? Like, like they are they are the driving force behind a lot of our copyright rules we have, um, and like the like everything just went into public domain um, before Disney, and now it like it they keep extending the deadline, and so like there's that's why there's nothing been in the public domain since like whatever it is 1923 or something like that, because um, that's when Disney right. Um, that's when Mickey Mouse was start. The anyway, my my whole point is that I am a, a giant fan of very permissive uh, licenses for these kind of things. Um, I personally believe that the reason um, projects like the Board Eight Yacht Club and the Forgotten Runes Wizards, like the reasons a lot of these these projects have gotten as much traction as they have and blown up as much as they have is because they have very permissive licenses that let whoever owns it do whatever they want with them, right? Um, like if you have a, if you own a board ape, you can go sell t-shirts on the side of the road, <laughs> just put up a, your shingle, you know, and sell t-shirts with your, your board ape. And like, none of that money goes back to the, the um, goes back to the guys, right? It's all, it's all yours and you can do it. And they're like, sure, go for it. Because they look at it as advertising. You are basically advertising the the set, the community. Like you are you are out there evangelizing. And that's where that's where the value is. It flows back, it always flows back to the community. And so what we want to do is we want to replicate that kind of thing. So we want these super permissive licenses um, to where anybody can do all the cool things they want. And I mean, ideally, um, 
they would play within our world, right? Because then we can we can leverage some some sort of positive sum synergies, right? Meaning, um, like like the the uh, the contest we just held, where people were writing cool stuff, and they're 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 writing stuff that I could actually bring into the story if I wanted to, and be like, ooh, let's kind of branch it out this way. Because here's a like I know Jesse said we don't want to tell anybody what we're going to do, um, because then you know we got to keep things close to our chest. But I have been a D and D dungeon master for like thirty thirty five years, something like that. <laughs> so. Um, one of the talents I have is sort of this this story improv piece thing. So I can just like bend and twist stories based on incoming like decisions from my players, anybody really. So so as we have this world, right, it would be so cool to kind of guide, let the community guide a lot of these pieces. I mean, I... I like being the editor, <laughs> so, you know, like, no, 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 oh, yes, right? Like, I'll find fun things and I get excited and I'm like, oh, but so building this world collaborative, collaboratively with people really, really, really gets me excited. That's, that's, that's what you meant when I get excited to talk about the, the IP licensing right stuff. So, like, we are super excited to have just everyone build the world of cyber workers with us. Because everybody who owns a cyber broker is basically a co-owner in this in this thing, um, and we just, yeah, like it's just it makes me so happy. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, can you tell me the details on like the the sale? Like, when is it happening? What day? Uh, you know, how are you how are you actually going about the sale? Is it just like a public sale where everyone goes and gas wars and you know load up your Ethereum and go, or what does that process look like? One of the benefits of having taken so long to actually uh, launch Cyberbrokers that we actually got to see um, a lot of the NFT sales that happened over the last six or nine months or so. Um, Chris and I would degen we out together. Super and like, <laughs> yeah, horribly so, horribly so. Um, we, we would participate in a sale like three times a day uh, yeah. in the middle of last summer. It well, was awful. Well, Ben and I can write uh, code, right? And so yeah. we've got our, and we're doing like all these crazy on the fly analysis. Oh man, you should see our tool set. It's so cool. <laughs> I, yeah, we, anyway. we, we, we've been nefarious. Yeah. Um, so that being said, uh, that, was, <laughs> that being said, um, in doing all of that, we got to experience what a lot of people were doing. And um, there were a lot of analogies to like when, we first started Blockade in 2018, we would launch a project like almost every month. Um, and every project would have some kind of fault in the rollout. So one thing that um, over the years, I've gotten very, very particular about knowing when we start building something, when we ship something, how we ship it, um, how we monitor it. Um, like my, my bar for quality kept going up. But when we first started, you know, things were very much like thrown together, like sometimes something wouldn't work and I have to go like tweak something or we start the server every two hours or something. Um, so it's funny because in the past half year, I'm seeing all of these people coming in and they're super enthusiastic. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of scammers in the space, so let's not think about them. 
but if we think about all the people who are coming in who are earnest, who are building something that they love and they want to be a part of the community and they're, you know, like this is like their moment. This is their getting into crypto moment. This is their, um, like they're going to be here forever. You know, like this, this is where they got in. Um, and they started by making mistakes and that's where we all started. And we got the benefit of seeing how everybody was deploying. And we saw things that worked. We saw things that didn't work. We saw things that had a negative effect. Like the, um, there was the, you know, there were a couple of launches where sometimes you could tell what token you were going to get either on chain, there was the metadata reveal or <laughs> off chain, uh, they leaked the metadata. Yes. Um, and I think the, the biggest one was MeBits, if anybody remembers that. It was near the end of the sale. Um, somebody mm. found the uh, IPFS hash was actually accidentally uploaded before the MeBits sale finished. So it was possible for someone to know um, what token ID um, correlated to which MeBit. So somebody wrote um, an MEV transaction that would fail if, um, I don't know if it was MEV, but it was a wrap. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you can hear that, I live right across from a train, uh, train tracks, and it's very active. So my apologies. Um, but somebody was able to wrap their transaction and say, if it is... <laughs> if Sorry. my EBIT is going to suck, then I'm just going to eject that <laughs> out of the transaction. Basically uh, yeah, I'm just here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so... We saw all these things happen and, you know, there's all these benefits to how we wanted to run the sale and how we wanted to deploy everything because we want people. So of the negative things that we've seen, um, revealing all of the tokens at once means that you have this market activity before, you know, people are speculating on what they're going to look like, what they're getting. Basically, everybody is speculating. It's like you gave everybody, there was only 10,000 Pokemon card packs. Everybody had one and the people were betting like which one they could get and they're bidding them up and they, you, everyone bought it for $4 and now they're going for 40, you know, and then everybody opens their packs and like only 1% of them have a Charizard or something, you know, um, it, it has a negative effect on the ecosystem. So that's something we wanted to avoid. So every single part of the way that the cyber broker sale and the allow list is structured has been to try to provide the best possible experience for the the person who's on the other end for the person who's buying it who's believing in it who wants to be a part of it it is all for them so we want people to um pay a good fair price we want them to hold their cyber broker and love it no matter what they get like we want we want everybody to be happy no matter what what it is and part of that is we kind of have to protect um, people from themselves. And that's where these bad market effects come into play. When you have a reveal that happens all at once, then um, you have a speculative behavior. You have all of this um, this trading back and forth. And it's it um, creates an expectation that almost never can be can can live up to expectation. So um, we're we're doing reveal almost instantaneously. Um, we're doing it in a way that you cannot wrap the transaction and see exactly what it is you're getting. Um, and we are not doing a public sale because that causes gas wars and people wind up spending a ton of money um, in order to even participate. And in a public sale, even if you try to raise the price, you, 
your whales, no matter no matter how you structure a public sale, the whales are always the ones who are going to get the bulk of it. And the the ethos from the very beginning, for two years now, Cyberburkers was all about let every single one of Josie's fans for all of eternity, for, for since she started sharing her work, let every single one of them have an opportunity to be a part of her universe, to have her work, and let everybody like equally share in that. So the allow list is structured, so the entire sale is allow listed. People from the public are still going to be able to participate. We're going to have a, a public allow list. Probably by the time this episode comes out, it, it might already be out there. Um, and people who have already been a part of the community, the Discord, um, Twitter followers, the newsletter, um, the Discord and the newsletter in particular were all completely allow listed. We just told them, you don't have to play a game. You are just in for being a fan. And that's it. Um, Josie NFT holders, same thing. Everybody gets um, three NFTs from that, or they get to, they're allowed listed to buy three NFTs. So it's all about trying to make the most fair structure and the most transparent. And like there's no tiered pricing, for example, like everybody play, pays what they pay. That's it. And it's, um, you, can so see it, it's, you can see it up and down the entire stack from our, mm-hmm. from our IP licensing permissive stuff to our, We've got 50 talents and like the art is incredibly diverse across the entire set. Everything looks cool to um, like the way we're doing the sale to the like everyone will know that they can mint like the day of like you you don't need to you won't need to there will be no questions like you will know if you can make if you have a side worker that you can that you can mint or not like everything is to make this a as pleasant of an experience and and once you get your cyber worker it's like you will love your cyber like everything we do is is focused on that and here's a random question how do you avoid the website going down i'm always curious about how people go from like a website probably not being that popular to suddenly having like all these hits because isn't that like a ddos attack so like how do you guys avoid that problem one of the so we're still finalizing the details of how the site is going to work. A DDoS attack really affects a site that depends on a backend. Um, there's a whole lot of of reasons for that. So we're we're debating the best way to do it. Maybe a very lightweight backend because there's only one specific thing that we really need a backend for. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you keep it very light, when you keep it focused on the front end. Um, you can handle a much higher load. Uh, that being said, I if the site goes down, it's because we're probably being attacked. If there's any normal load for the people who are coming in to um, participate in the sale and be a part of it, like that is a low to medium load for, for any website. So yeah, um, keep in I mind, don't... everybody will know that they can mint. So there's no rush. There's no hurry. Yep. We're going to give like they will have time to come in and click on things and mint stuff. There's so there's no reason that everybody needs to all hope they click the button just in time at 12.01 p.m. Like, I mean, it's we, we are everything we're doing is trying to make this experience as nice as possible. Awesome. All right. So what is the. What's the long-term vision here? Like, is this going to be a game? Is this like going to be a, a movie? Like with all the lore? Like, like what, what, what is that? What are you guys thinking? Yes. We're going to be everything. <laughs> yeah, every, all of it. Um, 
I think we, I mean, we have a lot of things internally that we've talked about that we're really excited about. And from the very start, Cyber Brokers was meant um, to basically be in lieu of like raising around or something like that for us to be able to take what we earn from cyber brokers and put it right back into what we're building and into building sick stuff for the community and, and projects on top of it and sort of have this be like the foundational piece. So we're going to continue with the lore. People know um, that we're going to be doing some puzzles that we're really excited for that like really involve all of the community, even if you don't know how to do puzzles. Cause like that was really important to me. Um, I was like, I want a dummy like me to be able to do it, like to be able to participate and, um, get excited from it and even win something, even if I don't know how to do all these things. So we're sort of taking a lot of different things and, um, and we're really, I mean, launch day for cyber brokers is the start, right? That's like not the finish for us. That's, that's the starting line of where we're going beyond that. So hopefully all of those things you listed, right? And, um, I don't see us stopping because we're building we're not only building a universe for people who are in cyber brokers and the things that we're releasing on top of it, um, but we're also having the community sort of like build it with us, like Chris was saying, um, adding in their contributions to the lore, um, having people sort of pick different routes we go. Um, so this is just like, I, I just can't stress it enough that it's it's the starting point for where cyber brokers is going to go. Amazing. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, this is was this was just like an absolute pleasure. I love learning about, you know, what you guys are doing and building. It's super exciting. And uh, you guys are just mega OGs and anything you guys touch is, is, is awesome. But uh, if people want to find out more about yourselves, find out more about cyber brokers, where do they go? What, what do they do? Um, our website is cyberbrokers.io. Check out the website and the Discord and the newsletter for sure. Um, those are in the Twitter. Those are kind of all the places that we're at and, and putting out information on. Um, and then, yeah, if you guys want to plug your personal Twitters, go for it or whatever you want to. I'll let Ben go first because his, his is more complicated. Because than mine. I can say my name out loud and people will know exactly how to spell it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go to twitter.com slash C-Y-B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S-I-E. Is it cyber yeah. bourgeoisie or bourgeois? Yeah, bourgeoisie. It's cyber bourgeoisie. Cyber bourgeois. Cyber bourgeoisie. No, cyber bourgeoisie. It's cyber bourgeoisie. Uh, okay. The whole thing took the yeah. Okay. Okay. Easy. Nice. That's amazing. Chris? Exactly. Nice and simple. Condensed. Yeah. Everyone yeah. knows how to spell totally it. Easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me anywhere. Just Google Memnock with the the three instead of the e because you know I created it back in nineteen ninety six or whatever and it was cool it was leet speak back then um, so you know awesome awesome guys thank you so much for, for coming on and i'm re really looking forward to cyber brokers thanks for having thank us you, awesome. thanks so Lots much